Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Yvonne Winget Sanchez. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic. And I'm Ron Hansen, also a national reporter for the Republic. In today's episode, we're talking about the horrific murders of members of a family who are dual U.S.-Mexico citizens and what they might mean politically in Arizona and the U.S. We'll talk with the reporter who's been leading this coverage to break down what happened and what it all means for Arizona. Ron, go ahead and give us the background on this tragedy. Sure. So news broke on November 4th that three women and six children were killed in an ambush as they traveled to a remote area near the Sonora-Chihuahua border where cartels have been engaged in a turf war. The massacre happened about a three-hour drive south of Arizona's border with Mexico. All three families belonged to a fundamentalist offshoot of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and had dual U.S. and Mexican citizenship. The victims have family here in Arizona, and some of the wounded children who survived are being treated in Arizona. The massacre has garnered national and international attention, and here to talk with us about it is Daniel Gonzalez. Dan, you are an immigration reporter here for the Arizona Republic, and you've covered immigration and the border for at least 20 years. And we are recording on Thursday, November 7th. So as a disclaimer, some of the information may change by the time that you are listening. Dan, this news broke late one evening uh, here in our newsroom. Take us through uh, what we know and what authorities believe actually happened. Well, these are um, three families that were traveling um, in three different vehicles from a town in Sonora to a town in Chihuahua. And they come from settlements that were founded by fundamentalist members of the um, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And these these families, um, they, their roots go back in this part of Mexico really for decades, all the way back to the late 1800s. And um, the families have dual U.S. and Mexico citizenship, and they uh, have very strong links to the United States. They travel back and forth all the time. And on the way to Chihuahua, the, the, the three vehicles were ambushed in this kind of remote mountainous area. And um, there was uh, three moms and 14 children who were in the vehicles. The three moms were killed and um, uh, six of the 14 children also died. And it was a very, very horrific incident because one of the vehicles actually ignited, burst into flames because of the gunfire when it was struck by bullets, apparently that the gas tank exploded. And that mom and um, um, her children were burned inside that the vehicle found, their bodies were found charred inside. So it's, it was a, ex, ex, uh, extremely horrific event and um, it, it happened you know during a time when Mexico has seen already horrific violence um, going back for over 12 years during the this um, drug war but this really kind of seems to have set even another new low because of the um, uh, slaughtering of, of women and children so let's talk about that for a bit. This case does seem different for all of us. I mean, the fact that we're even talking about it is a sign of how unusual this matter is, sadly. Um, 
this fundamentalist Mormon community, uh, how long has it been in Mexico and, and what more should people know about that? Well, these communities, their roots go all the way back to the 1880s when um, Mormons uh, started f fleeing restrictions against polygamy in the United States. And that's when they, they moved to, uh, to Mexico so that they could continue to practice polygamy. And then when uh, the church, LDS church, um, banned polygamy, more families moved down there. And over time, these, these families have become very much uh, part of the Mexican fabric. Although they retain U.S. citizenship, they continue to um, speak both English and Spanish. And in a lot of ways, they consider themselves more Mexican than American, although they've been portrayed as Americans. The, um, they're really they're, they're diverse communities. Um, some of them consider themselves Mormons. Some of them are still fundamentalists. Uh, the um, polygamy uh, part of it is, is, has, has died out, but they're communities with very, very long, deep roots in Mexico. The families have spoken out against the cartels and have asked for the violence to stop. They have called on leaders to take on the cartels. That has not happened. Do we know if this is retribution for them taking a vocal stance? Do we know if this was a case of mistaken identity that Perhaps they were mistaken for a rival criminal group? Yeah, that's really, it's not known yet. So here's what's kind of interesting. Earlier that morning, um, there was a gun battle between two different rival uh, cartels that took place in Agua Prieta, which is about three hours away from there. This is all from according to Mexican authorities. And it was one, one of the groups is called La Linea, and it's a, a, a faction of the Juarez cartel, and they control... Uh, drug routes in the United States and in Chihuahua, and then the other group was called Los Salazar, and they're part of the very powerful um, Sinaloa cartel, which is part of you know um, convicted drug ping El Chapo. And um, so they there was this gun battle that took place in Agua Prieta, and um, there was um, because of this incursion from this Los Salazar, the La Linea group was afraid that the Salazars were trying, were going to try to penetrate Chihuahua. So they dispatched uh, um, a group of um, armed cicados, they call them gunmen, to um, this mountainous region to prevent uh, the other rival group from penetrating Chihuahua. And at the same time uh, is when this, this um, caravan, this convoy of, of three SUVs carrying these families was co going through that, um, traveling through that remote area. So there's speculation by the Mexican authorities that the cartel people uh, mistook these vehicles as rival, the rival cartel, because they were traveling in SUVs, which are common vehicles commonly used by cartels. Now, the other kind of theories that is kind of floating out there is these these families that were that were massacred, they're related to a very very outspoken uh, um, activist um, um, named Julian LeBaron, and his some of his his brother was actually killed by the cartels about ten years ago, after they took another brother, um, kidnapped him, and, and demanded a million dollar ransom. And these groups, the the these uh, Mormon families there, have refused to. Um, cave into extortion payments. So there's some speculation that these cartels were, you know, possibly deliberately targeting um, these family members. Dan, the violence that, that you're talking about has been with us for more than a decade and 
President Trump has uh, tweeted about this incident and uh, a lot of people politically are chattering about it as well. What is the political fallout of this right now and where do you imagine it might be as we get closer to an election? Well, that's right. I mean, right after this happened the next day, um, President Trump tweeted that, you know, it's time to declare all out war on the cartels and wipe them off the face of the earth. And he offered to uh, help uh, the Mexican president, um, you know, carry out this war. Um, and um, but what's interesting here is that uh, Mexico's president, um, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, has been willing to cooperate with President Trump on the immigration issue. He has um, deployed National Guard troops to the southern part of, of Mexico to stop the caravans and uh, wave of Central American migrant families that have been arriving at the southern border of Mexico. But on this issue, he said he's not going to go back to the way previous administrations have tried to take on the cartels head on, that this kind of violence has only led to more violence and more bloodshed. And he's steadfast determined to stick with his plan, which is to tr try to elevate the economic conditions in Mexico, create better jobs and higher paying jobs so people aren't drawn into the, the criminal war uh, world. The other thing that's kind of interesting here is although there's like a lot of kind of political pressure coming in the United States to kind of try to take on the cartels or have Mexico, help Mexico take on these cartels. We even had uh, Senator uh, Cotton in Texas make some comments that we need to send in the special forces and uh, uh, kill uh, kill uh, the kill these cartel members. Um, Mexico in Mexico, there's a very large perception that this. This violence and the level of bloodshed is a result of all the tremendous amount of firepower that is trafficked from the uh, United States into Mexico and also the consumption of drugs um, uh, in the United States that, that um, you know, uh, the, the drug cartels are profiting off of. And here, this is what I think is going to be interesting in this kind of nexus here because you've got President Trump talking about trying to help the... Uh, help take on these cartels, wage war on the cartels, but he's a big uh, gun rights supporter. And what Mexico is saying is you need to stop these guns uh, from getting into Mexico, from being trafficked in there. So there's, they're really kind of talking about, you know, past each other on two different issues. Based on your lengthy experience uh, reporting on um, Mexico and this relationship and various elements uh, in that country. Do you have confidence really that this case is going to be solved? I think that's that's a very good question. I think that's what people, I, I've, I've talked to people who are from Mexico about this and there's not a high la la level of confidence that this is going to be solved. The new president has said that his strategy is to um, use economic development so people don't uh, are drawn to the uh, criminal organizations, but he also wants to use uh, intelligence to uh, uh, bring people who perpetuate these crimes to justice. Um, but what what happened recently uh, when when the Mexican government there was a you know they botched the uh, the arrest of one of El Chapo's sons and uh, hundreds of cartel. Uh, uh, gunmen flooded the streets and of Culiacan. There was these battles, and 
Mexico was forced to release his son, and that kind of sent a signal in Mexico that the government is really weak um, on the cartels. And so I think there's a very big concern in Mexico that you'll see some people get arrested, and uh, but there'll be low-level people if they're even involved with this crime. And uh, and then that'll, that'll be the end of it. That's all you hear about it. I don't think there is a lot of confidence among regular Mexicans that that whoever really ordered this uh, was behind this this ambush will really be brought to justice. What should Arizonans expect to be the fallout of this? We we always hear during these kinds of spasms about uh, Arizonans who may not be uh, look wanting to travel to Mexico or vice versa. There, it, these things can have an economic toll. It certainly can strain relationships uh, between the countries and, and emanating here from Arizona. How does this one seem likely to play out given current conditions? Well, Arizona, as you know, it has very, very strong economic ties with with um, with our neighbors to the South Sonora. There's a lot of trade that goes back and forth, major amounts of produce that come through our ports. Also, um, the maquiladoras, parts that come in that are manufactured in Mexico and come into Arizona. And those are all ties that have been building over the last few years. Um, I definitely think it's going to have some fallout, some concerns about security. Um, in Mexico and whether people are going to want to continue to both invest in, in Mexico and also to travel to Mexico. And that's some of the questions I hear all the time. Is it safe to go to Mexico? But you know, I would say to that is, I mean, I travel to Mexico all the time. And although you hear about these, when you hear about these really high profile um, crimes, the tendencies to kind of think of the entire country is unsafe. And it's really kind of like when you think about the mass shootings that take place in the United States. Most people in the United States don't go around their lives, you know, that 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 we're, we're being targeted in these mass shootings. It's, it's when you happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And that's really how it is in Mexico. For the most part, um, it's safe to be, to travel in Mexico and to visit Mexico. There are over one million um, Americans living in Mexico. Many of them are retirees who are living very uh, happy lives in, in Mexico. So I think those concerns are definitely going to be there. But overall, I think that Mexico does remain, most of Mexico remains a safe place to visit. And what is the future of this fundamentalist community in Mexico? Do we know yet? One of our reporters, Rafael Carranza, who traveled with some family members for some of the funerals that were taking place today, she told him, she lives in the United States, and she told him that she thinks this is going to, um, uh, people are really, really terrified by this, and that, that a lot of the people who live in these, these, uh, these settlements are going to move back to the United States, that they've had enough, and, and, and they'll, uh, that they'll be coming back here. All right, guys, let's talk about the potential political implications of uh, this story. Do you see the conversation about border security, about asylum seekers, about um, some of these issues that have really be, been ingrained in the American psyche about our Southern neighbors. Do you see that conversation shifting in a meaningful way heading into 2020 because of this 
massacre? Well, I think we were already going to see immigration be thrust back into the spotlight heading into the 2020 election, just be on the immigration issue alone, because that was a signature issue for uh, President Trump in the 2016 election. It's it's a major issue that helped get him get him elected. We're coming off a year where we had unprecedented numbers of of uh, Central Americans coming across the border here, and now we've got this horrible massacre, you know, just a few hours south of the border. And I'm sure we're going to see this play very very uh, big. Both both sides capitalizing in this issue in the in the um, 2020 election. I listened in on a recent teletown hall that Republican Senator Martha McSally had on this issue. She opened the hour-long phone town hall about this issue, and she expressed sympathy for the family, and she talked about how horrific this is. And she really seemed to be using this story as a way to kind of get back to, as you mentioned, Dan, the signature issue for Trump the closing the border, the building the wall, you know, uh, putting more resources, technology, drones, resources, bodies down at the border to to secure the border. And she did get a question from someone who kind of echoed the sentiments of Senator Cotton. And this gentleman asked, hey, you know, we probably know a lot more about what's happening down in Mexico than we give, than we let the general public believe. Why can't we just go down there and take these people out. And her response was, look, you know, they're a sovereign country. We can't do that. That would be a last resort. Um, The best way to prevent this kind of carnage from spilling into our country and our state is to build the wall. And I thought it was a really interesting perspective from that man. And I guess what I'm watching for heading into 2020 is does the sentiments from voters shift from, you know, a concern, an overwhelming concern about um, illegal immigration and uh, an influx of asylum seekers, which has recently declined, to major concern about violence and this kind of carnage arriving at the doorstep. And it's probably already here. Right. I mean, look, I think that the political figures have already cited what I think is in, you know, most respects, a sincere belief that it is a porous border or on the other side of it, that the problem is that we have gun trafficking that is enabling this kind of violence. Uh, We're seeing people sort of going in that direction. What is unclear is how long the American public or in Arizona, anyone really wants to sort of do something about this. We saw in Arizona with the slaying of a rancher uh, a decade ago that this could help fuel a desire to act to try and do something about um, what was seen as a problem that was spawning violence here in Arizona. The question is, in this era, will that be sort of nationalized? Does this incident sort of become the the flashpoint that will drive any broader conversation, or is it really just a, a tragedy that everyone uh, shakes their head at and, and moves on? Well, I think the, the, the comment that Martha McSally made that this is evidence that we need to build a wall is, indicates that we're not going to see that conversation because it's, it's well known uh, 
it's been well known for a long time that the the solution to the people coming across the border illegally, illegal immigration, is not just building a wall. That there's going, there's much. It's a very complex issue that involves uh, you know revamping the immigration system and passing some kind of comprehensive immigration reform that looks at the the uh, why people are leaving and why people are coming to the United States. And it's the same thing, you know, uh, on the on the violence issue. Is that if we just talk about you know building a wall or sending special op- operation teams to kill a bunch of people, that, that like that's somehow going to miraculously solve the problem. When the reality is, there's a lot there's a lot more po- complex issues involved here, and it's gonna it's gonna take uh, on Mexico's and building the uh, uh, economic levels in society there, and in the United States, the reducing the consumption of drugs and also the exportation of very high powered weaponry into Mexico. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, Dan. Where can people find you on Twitter? I'm at AZ Dan Gonzalez. All right. That's it for today, Gaggle listeners. And while we still have you, please don't forget to rate and review our show and share it with a friend. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Yvonne Winget. And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. Today's episode was edited and produced by Marita Dominguez with oversight from Kayla White. Thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We'll see you next week. 